stay bout it. I'm not pouting. Break through walls and climb it mountains if you want it. Scream it loud. What's up, superstars? Welcome to the Brain Tainment Podcast. Listen, if you're someone who wants to build more confidence within yourself, your ability to perform, to execute, to build skills, or to just feel better, or if you're someone who wants to architect a new empowering identity, this is the platform for you. Listen, we have all kinds of guests on this program from the psychology space, neuroscience, sports, as well as cultural icons and influences where we get to pick apart their story and learn a bit more about them. So be sure to subscribe. I hope you get value from this show. If you do, if you do enjoy it, please, please, please do me a favor. Put it on your socials, share it with friends and families who you think this message could help or they would enjoy and be sure to share the love and tag me on those platforms. We'd love to get some feedback. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. G'day guys, welcome back to the Braintainment podcast. Today's a really special episode. If you've been following along, uh, listen to any of these episodes, you know a bit about my personal story and not to digress too much, but um, part of that journey was a pretty nasty head injury I sustained and that got uh, that that led to a diagnosis of post concussion syndrome, and so the world of head traumas, um, not just in sports but also outside in everyday life, is something very dear to my heart. It's a very um, ambiguous conversation uh, to some extent, and so I'm really excited to uh, to bring that to the forefront with you guys today and, and share a bit about um, what concussions are, what causes them. Um, head traumas in general and really just dive into as much as we can with someone I'm really fortunate to be connected with today. So um, I'm, I'm joined by Rob Wallace, the founding principal at Sydney Concussion Centre. And Rob, it is an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the show, mate. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me, Len. It's great to be here. And hello to everyone out there. So to kick things off, mate, let's just, uh, we'll give a surface level overview and then we'll dive into the intricacies. I was just chatting with you off air saying I'm going to approach this conversation from a place of curiosity, given my own my own story and journey. but um, sure. And it's not an unusual journey, I can guarantee you that too. And that is very, uh, that is nice and comforting to know. You know, can feel very yeah. lonely at times, which I'll get to in a moment, I'm sure. But um, to start with, mate, what, what is a concussion? What's actually taking place based on the, the latest research, I suppose, and your experience? What is taking place um, when a concussion occurs? Yeah, yeah. And look, we, we know that uh, concussion is uh, related to an acceleration, deceleration injury to the head. So we used to think it was the brain sloshing around inside the skull uh, and hitting the inside of the skull a little bit, causing problems. But, but we actually now know that it's the stretching of the nerves in the brain that causes the problem. And that stretch of the nerves uh, will cause a surge of electrical activity. And that's when you see the immediate effects of, say, someone on a probably on a footy field, it's the most obvious uh, time or sporting field where we the, the cameras are on them and we see them fall over, stumble around. Sometimes they'll go into that really sort of awful looking, decerebrate posture where their arms sort of go straight um, and they're just motion lying motionless on the ground. And that's all occurring, all those symptoms occur from the surge of electrical activity in their brain caused by the stretch of the nerves by the acceleration, deceleration injury. And so, I mean, even just that alone um, is like so much more intricate than what I was uh, privy to growing up to start with. I played a lot of football myself. Fortunately, I didn't have any nasty head injuries playing footy. Uh, maybe I just yeah. wasn't hard enough at the ball. I don't know. 
but um, yeah. but uh, following my head trauma as a as a twenty five year old, you know, the first point of call was GPs, and then into a physio, and and it was a little bit of time before I even heard any sort of conversation around ongoing symptoms and things of that nature, and just the idea that there's like this this stretching um, vis a vis, just like a, a knock to the brain, is all to a lot of people is probably the first time they're hearing that. So um, I guess for you, mate, is there a big opportunity from an educational point of view for the, for, I guess, for the general public, for people involved in sports um, to, to get a better understanding of what's actually taking place? Oh, definitely. And I think that the, the amazing thing um, from our point of view, medically, those of us who are starting to get involved in this is how far behind uh, the rest of the world, especially North America that we are, mm. um, I have a business partner who's Canadian and he he grew up in Toronto playing ice hockey and ice hockey is one of those games where you're allowed to check people where basically you're allowed to shoulder charge them without them even looking and that's been a rule for ages but that's one of the main causes of concussion and so he he talks back or he talks about but going back as far as the early 2000s of of them being aware of concussion, much more aware of concussion and looking out for your mates and things like that, stuff that we're only now starting to, to bring into our, our sort of, um, mm. I guess, our, our sporting sort of um, some sporting ideas of, of what concussion is. And, yeah, so I think we're a lot more aware in the last couple of years, but we're certainly a long way behind uh, just that level of simple understanding, yeah. both not just at a public general public level, but at a medical level of yeah. what concussion is. So yeah, really important that we that we can crank up that education side of it and help people to understand what's going on. Mm. It's nice to say, I guess, the conversation getting a little bit more airtime. I think um, last year alone, I saw, particularly related to the AFL sports here in Melbourne. Anyway, on the front page of the news, it was you know one of the yeah. guys struggling with. Either that's currently in the game or, or, or affects post, you know, years later, um, we'll talk about in a sec, you know, getting some airtime, which is really important. I think at the time of yeah. recording this, I think it was last night or maybe a couple of days ago, I saw Chris Main. I'm a Collingwood supporter. He was, um, he just had a head injury and, and he was looking like you just described. He was looking pretty, pretty sinister yeah. there on the ground. And so I feel like every time I'm, I see this stuff now, I'm just like, oh, fuck. like I know where this, I know, I know um, how, going on. how yeah. tricky it can be. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully the, um, I think, I've seen, we had one story yesterday, one story this morning of, uh, of concussion and a lot of it's in that sort of um, post-concussion type um, uh, talk and, and the story this morning was about litigation and, you know, going back to these old footy players who have, mm. have got ongoing problems now. So hopefully we can sort of bring that, discussion a bit earlier on to the process of of early early education of what's going on and and being able to manage these things a lot better because we really talk about how we we've got a concussion problem yep. but that's probably because we we don't have we we don't manage them properly we have a mm-hmm. we have a management problem so so um, how important get the management right can make a big difference okay so how important is those is there like a time period where it's like, you know, the, the critical moment in time for management to avoid any lingering issues like we've seen well, from my own experience, but also some of these, you know, noteworthy sports players that are, you know, weeks, months and even years later still struggling with certain symptoms is the early stages of management. Is that, you know, is that a dramatic variable? Uh, 
I think that's a key a key period, and there's a number of issues that go in there. Um, firstly, yeah, just how you manage it in those first two weeks can be critical. Some of that is about not sending players back onto the field too early. Um, there was a there was a, just as an example, um, the I think in the State of Origin series. I know it's a it's a Northern States game, but you're probably aware of it here. And there was Absolutely. a. Um, uh, in the second game, Cameron Munster, one of your Melbourne players uh, down there, got actually knocked out solid, and um, he was con- he was uh, loss of consciousness, consciousness, and in a pretty bad way. And this was in the first minute or two of the game, and they brought him off. There would have been a temptation there to say, okay, if he passed his his concussion test, which he actually did, mm. he was fine from the concussion test point of view, but they actually said. Um, and they could have given him a bit of time before they brought him back on, but they actually said, no, look, he's, he, was, um, he had the mechanism of injury, he had signs and symptoms of the injury, we're not going to put him back on, even though, you know, it's a pretty high-stakes game. And, and that, that was the best thing for him. He actually came back and played a week later, whether that's a good thing or not, or not you know, the jury's still out on that. But, but they managed it well at the time, and yeah. so he probably recovered a lot quicker than if they had to send him back out on the field and tried to get him to finish the game. Mm. So, yeah, I think that there's that initial critical period and, and that, that um, the, the on-field testing that they're doing now is great. That's important. But, but with, with the symptoms you get after a concussion, we've got to remember that, that there's often a delay. Yes. So you might, you'll get your concussion you know, plenty of players pass their concussion test. Yes. And so they go back onto the field. But but the next day, that's when their symptoms come to light. Mm. And that's because of this energy de- deficit that develops in the brain from the that acceleration, deceleration injury we, we were discussing. And so it takes time for that to have its impact. So so that I guess one of the, the acute critical periods is that that first, literally that, that first 24 hours, Yes. What you do there in terms of preventing them from from injuring themselves again. Mm. But then the first two to, you know, maybe three weeks are really key. If you manage them well there and you get the management working well early, we're hoping that we can reduce the number of people that move into that post-concussion syndrome or persistent concussion symptoms type type, uh, situation. And that can be up to 30% of people that have a concussion, which is pretty high. And I got some stats. the stats in America are that about one, 1.1% of the population have a concussion every year. And if we, if we transferred that to Australian numbers, yeah. that's about 282,000 people a year will get a concussion. Wow. And if you're talking 30% of people will develop a post-concussion syndrome as well, you know, you're talking 84, 85,000 people could, could have post-concussion syndrome yeah. similar to what you've got yeah. every year. The num- is- so those numbers are pretty staggering. They're very so you want to try and avoid that or limit that to a, um, you know, to a, yeah. a bare minimum because the symptoms, as you know, can be very crippling and disabling. So let's talk about that, um, those symptoms. You know, I don't know if you've worked, I assume you have worked with, um, with clients and patients and, and people in the space that uh, might share a similar train of thought. And that is, you know, often I feel... I'm just going to sort of digress a little bit. And I think that you yeah. know, the listeners will sort of get more context around this post-concussion syndrome. This is the lane I want to stay in. So it, it can feel very isolated at times and almost there's so much 
ambig- ambiguity around it because on one hand, physically I look fine, right? Yeah. Um, I've always been reasonably articulate. So like my speech for the most part, other than, you know, fatigue and things like we we'll talk about in a sec, but it was, wasn't overly impaired. Um, so it's like, you know, part of me, whether people think this or not, and this could be just, you know, the, the masculine ego, I'm not too sure, but it's like, I don't want to show a level of weakness when I can't even point to it. And I, my fear is that people think, mate, there's nothing fucking wrong with you. Stop, stop, um, you know, whinging almost yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'd love for you to expand on some of this stuff, but in terms of symptoms after, you know, a period of time after a head injury, you know, like for me, it's been, like you said, at times debilitating. So could you maybe talk to uh, your experience of what post-concussion syndrome is, I suppose, if no one's ever heard of that term um, and what some of those lingering symptoms look like? Yeah. So the the post-concussion syndrome or persistent concussion symptoms is what we're talking about now. Same sort of PCS, it's the same same uh, same letters, but but it's it's just the ongoing symptoms you can get that that all look very similar to a more acute concussion. Um, when I say acute concussion, not that immediate concussion symptom you get of of, of uh, really finding it hard to stand up straight and mm. and <clears throat> losing your consciousness a little bit. Ongoing headaches is probably a key thing. Um, sensitive <clears throat> sensitivity to noise and sound. Um, dizziness is a is a key issue. Um, the cognitive issues that you were talking about are a real big thing. Inability, finding it difficult to read or to retain information. Um, yeah, loss of memory. All these things are <clears throat> consistent with a post concussion syndrome issue. But everyone everyone is different. So this mm. is the the thing. It's not. It's not exactly the same for every person. So everyone's got a, a mix of these symptoms. Mm. And so, um, and that the reason that there is such a mix is because there's a they, there's up to five things that can really um, contribute to those, which we'll get onto in a little while, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, they all manifest in a different way and depending even on what you're, you're doing for work. So if you're in front of a computer reading a lot for work, um, that's going to impact on your concussion will impact on you differently compared to if you're a tradie out working outside in the sunshine and, and, and being more active. So, um, so the, the type of sy- symptoms, yep. you know, cover, I cover, you know, basically um, your, your ability to think clearly, your ability to, to, I guess, cope with the normal sensory demands that we're hit yep. with. Yep. And then, that can then start to overflow, you know, into your psychology a little bit because when you start to have issues in this area, yep. then people can develop sort of more depressive or anxious anxiety type issues as well, especially mm-hmm. if they're predisposed to that. If they've yes. had those problems before their concussion, then that can really be exaggerated afterwards. So there's a, a myriad of symptoms um, that can affect, and I, I, <clears throat> I don't sort of get too... Um, worried about all the variety of symptoms because they're all so different and, and mm. everyone expresses theirs in a slightly different way because we've got a brain that's been affected here and your brain just runs everything in your body so it can affect anything so the the overflow into what goes on in your life can be yep. you know quite 
quite variable for each person, but very significant. And then, as, as you say, it's all invisible. You look fine. It's not like you've had a, a severe head injury where you're in a wheelchair and, you, right. you know, you, you can still talk. You talk gibberish sometimes because your your brain's so scrambled. But you know, I had a had a patient this morning who's had a concussion, and and she was, um, she bought a salad, a type a certain type of salad at her um, at a grocery store, and she came home. She couldn't actually remember what was in the salad or what sort of salad it was, and she was that really that really got to her because it. Mm she realised how scrambled her brain was because she knew that she should know this, but she couldn't quite put it together. Or you'll find, you know, I'm sure you had problems finding a word. Absolutely. Or finding words, it's in your brain, but you just can't get it out. So this scrambling of the brain that the concussion causes is, is quite, is so mm. debilitating that it can then, yeah, lead to this, you're getting pretty down psychologically. There's a couple of things in that I want to unpack and... Um, yep. For me, like there's probably along my journey, which has been quite long, and I'll we'll touch on that in a sec. But um, the for me, that sort of like scrambling of the brain, I resonate with a lot. There's so many situations where I'm like, and I know people that I've spoken to. I do a lot of content and stuff around this, not just on the podcast, but just in my small social platform. And I've had people yeah. that I don't know reach out to me, and slowly but surely built this like almost um, community of people that, like we've already touched on. Uh, yeah. Like there's so many people that do experience this like silent injury, the walking wounded I've heard us referred to at times. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And we're chatting and they seem to resonate with the similar things. But for me, it was like the situation where I'm like, I know, I know the fucking answer, but I just, I can't, I can't even yeah. articulate like why, why I'm stuck in this moment in time almost. And then for yeah. me, that happens yeah. a lot. Um, you know, when I'm like towards the end of the day and I just feel this debilitating fatigue not just a bit tired after a poor night's sleep but like i'm just sitting in a moment in time and i can't make decisions i'm like i don't know what it's like it's almost unexplainable so that for me is a big one the the fatigue is debilitating at time and we touched on the mental issues there um and where i wanted to go with this was to talk about the impact of pre-existing um or predispositions to whether it's psychological or physical you know, situations that are, you know, exacerbated from a head injury. Because for me, I yeah. went through a really, really crazy um, bout with depression. And I've been pretty open yeah. about this. Um, even even to this day, like years later, I still struggle on and off with like heightened levels of anxiety. I feel like my nervous system is really, really heightened. And I'm wondering uh, if, if potential, like on reflection, I reckon I was maybe flirting with some of those mental health issues prior but man, yeah. I just went into a hole for a couple of years and it was really yeah. bad for a period of time. So I just want to talk on that. Is that something that is caused per se from a head injury? Is it, or is it generally speaking, um, do, do, the, do these head traumas exacerbate something that potentially was kind of like laying dormant for a period of time? Um, yeah. So look, we, we definitely know that Pre-existing, uh, pre-existing problems with depression and anxiety will increase your likelihood of developing PCS. So um, that's a definite. If you know, and, and as you say, you could be, you know, a mildly, a bit of a depressive person, not, not clinically depressed, mm-hmm. but you know, on that. I reckon that's where I was. Empty side of things, you know. If you're if you're that type of person, then maybe a concussion will. Um, 
stir up that and make it a bit more prominent, whether it be the actual concussion itself or whether it's the impact of all these symptoms, ongoing symptoms that you have, that's where, you know, you probably need a uh, some sort of a person with some sort of expertise who can give you um, a bit of direction and, mm. and uh, guidance on that. Yeah. But it probably, <coughs> excuse me again, it probably could go either way. So, um, so that's a definite, definite yeah. issue that I think um, needs to be, you know, edu- people need to be educated on that. And it's not a sign of weakness or anything like that. It's just, that's just where you're at and it's just the way your brain functions. And so I think mm-hmm. that's really important. The other thing I, I wanted to talk about just in, in what you mentioned there about your, your feeling your, your, your nervous system is heightened. Mm. And that's really, I think, a, another impact of concussion. And if you get on to, <clears throat> if, we, if I can just talk for a moment about the other part of my, my um, uh, clinical treatment sort of program is, is looking after people, and this is how I got into concussion, but looking after people with headaches and migraines. Um, <clears throat> migraines are a, a headache which is characterised by um, a nerve, a nerve hypersensitivity in the lower part of the brain called the brain stem. And what we also know is if you've got pre-existing, have a pre-existing migraine history or a, a family history of migraines, that makes you genetically predisposed to to your nerves, the nervous system becoming hypersensitive. So you will again be more likely to develop the post-concussion sy- symptoms or, or sorry, the um, yeah, post-concussion syndrome uh, if you have that those sort of migraine genetics, if you like, um, because it's a lot of the pathophysiology between a migraine and concussion is very similar. So if you're a migraine sufferer and you get a concussion, you're at more at risk of developing PCS. So, and it's all about the fact that the, the nerves become hypersensitive and that creates issues with, um, because they're hypersensitive, it's almost like they fatigue quicker. And that's why you get to the end of the day and you feel fatigued and tired and your brain just doesn't work anymore because mm. it's been overworking almost so much during the yeah. day. And there's a few different issues that, that are associated with that, but it's, it's basically your brain, as you say, is being um, is wired up too much. It's, it's, it's pretty hot and it's just bringing itself out too quickly. It's yeah. creating confusion for you during the day, but, but yeah, it wears yeah. out too quickly by the end of the day. Does that sort of make sense? Does that it sort of very a- much does. And yeah, I can relate to that a lot. I feel like, um, particularly if I sleep well, which is, which is a, you know, I know there's a lot of research around the relationship between, well, for anyone, particularly if, you know, someone who's had a head injury um, between sleep and, and how you feel. And so for me, if I sleep pretty well, you know, in the mornings, I, can, I actually feel reasonably sharp, but then I can just go from 100 to zero pretty quickly. Yeah. And I reckon just in, on reflection, it's in large part just due to the cognitive load, probably the nervous system, like we've alluded to there, maybe just being overworked. And I do spend a lot of time on my computer, um, hence the blue, blue block of glasses. Blue yeah, yeah. So... The other one I wanted to, to bring up before we dive into, I think you touched on um, like potentially five different areas of treatment or whatever. We'll, we'll dive into yeah, that yeah, in a sec. Yeah. Um, well, I think it'd be really useful for the listeners. It's really interesting in general. And I'm just, I want to, you know, for my own journey, dive yeah, into that. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about whiplash. I've seen the, some research come out uh, um, around whiplash. And I think, well, at least for me anyway, I'd always associate that as a very different 
injury or experience. Yeah. Um, are, there, are there similarities between a whiplash injury and or uh, a, a, what we would call a concussion? Concussion, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly the same, really. There's mm. been a lot of research. Um, there's, we actually are associated with a Canadian group called Complete Concussion Management. Oh, are you kidding? I, with, um, I, uh, I, I have that course. <laughs> oh, you, you, the CCMI course? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's fantastic. I yeah. follow all of their content. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're actually um, associated with them and, and that I did like a full-on training course for... Um, you know, going back a while ago, just to just to really, it was one of the one of the things that I did to really sharpen my skills on on concussion. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the and I'm just trying to I'm just trying to remember his name. Um, Me too. The guy who uh, Cameron Marshall. Cameron, that's uh, it. Cameron Marshall, yeah. yeah. So he he's done a lot of research on. Um, he started off doing some research uh, through uni, all about the whole idea of um a concussion and whiplash being the same and and basically that's the uh what he's come up with is that um concussion and, and whiplash are the same thing because it's a, a whiplash you may not hit your head but it's the acceleration deceleration injury does the same thing to your brain stretches the brain and so all the symptoms are the same um all the a lot of the treatment is the same um from a you know acute maybe the acute management's a little bit different um, because you probably put more stress on your neck, so it's a bit more neck orientated. But still, if you've if you've had a concussion, then you've had a whiplash injury as well, because it takes about it's about seventy to one hundred and twenty g's of force to give you a concussion. It takes about four and a half g's of force to give you a whiplash. Right. So if you've had a concussion, you got a concussion issue then you've got a whiplash injury as well and that's why the neck plays a really important part in the yeah. whole treatment process yeah. for both the reason i asked was i had someone reach one i'd, I'd been diving into cameron's uh, content and the research there but also i had a uh, someone i don't know reach out to me on, on a social platform who uh had a very different experience to me in in the in the moment but we were relating on so many levels in terms of our symptoms yeah. and so for me, I was, uh, I was, uh, I don't know if I told you this off air or, or not, but for me personally, my injury came from being um, a t- hit. I was king hit overseas um, okay. and, and I was knocked out. I was out cold for a little while. And my understanding is I was, um, I was hit, but then I also fell and I hit my head, hit the gutter. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, whether it was the blow from the, from the force or potentially knowing what I know now and what we're talking about, maybe it was just the awkwardness of falling and, and hitting the gutter, but, that was my situation. This girl who reached out to me, she had a car accident, which wasn't, you know, quote unquote serious on paper. Um, didn't lose any consciousness. The car was fine. Um, but she just had like a jolting and she's yeah. now, you know, debilitated with all these things we're talking about and crazy anxiety yeah. and depression, you know, dizziness, fatigue. And so it was just really interesting to see the, to see the correlation. Um, yeah, definitely a correlation. And the interesting thing is, um, I've done some research on the migraine concussion issue and the symptoms are almost exactly the same as well. Mm. So when you're experiencing a migraine and, and the concussion, the symptoms, you can tick them off. Like they're almost exactly the same. So a um, lot of, lot of similarities in, in all three of those issues. Yeah. And so um, I think that the treatment processes can be 
uh, similar as well. So let's talk about the treatment. Um, what, yeah. how do you, what's your approach? How do you look at it? Do you like compartmentalize it into different areas of the body? What does that look like? When we're looking at PCS? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So PCS, really we're defining something um, where the symptoms have hung around for probably four weeks plus, you know, depends on your depends on what definition you look at, but it's around two to four weeks, but probably four weeks is a, is a, a more accurate reading on it. And there's five, five areas that we look at. Firstly, physiological. So it's the blood, blood flow to the brain that can be affected by the concussion. And so that can uh, cause issues. The second one is potentially inflammatory processes going on in the brain. Uh, the third one we look at is visual vestibular issues. And, and we don't separate those because even though they are separate issues, they're um, very similar in their impact. Um, we've got the neck, the upper neck in particular. Um, and again, very similar in terms of how it can affect the body, very similar to vestibular and visual problems. So you could almost lump those three together and they cause a lot of the dizziness or what we call disequilibrium that people feel. So a lot of people, I'm not sure if you felt this, I'm sure you've talked to people who have, who they, they feel like they're walking around, like they're walking around on a boat or mm. walking on a trampoline where the, the world just seems to be, they're just off centre and just yep. things are, are not quite centred like they used to be. And then finally, the fifth thing we look at is the, is the psychological side. So I think probably the really, I guess the, the frustrating thing at the moment is that most people who come to us who have got these PCS symptoms, whether it be for three months, six months or six years, like, like you've experienced, and there's, there's certainly a lot of people out there, as we discussed, who have got this, is that none of them have, or a very minor sort of amount of them have been uh, assessed for all those five areas um, in their medical, all their medical sort of uh, assessments they've had. Um, often they're just thrown drugs because that's the easy out for the medical side of things. And, and I think it's purely just that people don't understand. I don't think they're doing, they're not doing it on purpose. It's just that we haven't had that um, or developed that understanding it from a medical viewpoint to, to know what to do. And that's why we had to go to, you know, we, overseas and go to Canada to get better understanding of this. Yes. Um, and, you know, try and, try and develop a, a situation here in Australia where we've got better facilities for people, the, the huge numbers of people who, who need to get these areas addressed. Yes. So there's a couple I want to dive into there and then... Um... Uh, I just want to unpack it a bit. So the, the psychological side of things. So I've, I've obviously extremely passionate about um, concussions, yep. given my experience yep. and just what I've been through, you know, the physical, like for a large period of life of my life, it was just debilitating and, you know, I had to give up sports. My identity as, a, as who I saw myself as was almost taken away from me. You know, I couldn't yep. even go out even a year later. I couldn't even go out to a nightclub when I was 25 because the sensory information, it was just too much. And like the anxiety being around other people and the headaches and I'd have like yeah, two yeah. drinks and I just feel so disoriented. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm like, who am I anymore? And so it's been crazy. So anyway, to bring it all together, that's obviously very passionate for me, but I'm also quite interested 
almost off the back of that, it's taken me down this rabbit hole of just the broader world of, you know, health and vitality and self-improvement and things of that nature. So I'm very aware of how, I guess, the relationship between our psychology and how that plays out in our physiology. And, you know, yeah. I guess what I'm asking yeah. is, um, or, or what I'm alluding to is I found it really challenging at times to, to identify how much of this is now a six-year narrative that I've built into myself that it's hard to escape from. You know, I'm someone who's broken with this injury, um, which I'm sure that psychosomatic part plays a role um, yeah. versus how much of it is, I guess, physiological and, and real. Um, and the reason I ask is, you know, there's times where I can just be having a fucking horrible day and pardon my language, but like, even now, like six years later, where I'm like, I can't even see almost like, I just can't make decisions. I'm like, I can't, yeah. the idea of doing anything just seems near impossible. I open up my emails and I'm staring at the inbox and I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Or I get a text message and I look at it for 10 minutes and I'm like, I can't take in what it's, I'm reading the words, yeah, yeah. but I don't know yeah, what yeah. the message is. And so I still, but then I'm able to throughout the day, maybe not feel a 10 out of 10, but get to a place, whether it's through like a deep connection with friends or a social experience or hanging out with my partner and feel better. So there's obviously some psycholo psychological aspect to it, yeah. but yeah, there's other times, like I just said, where like almost for no reason, I just feel debilitated. So yeah. how does one read between the lines? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a great question. It's probably almost a, open-ended question there's no I guess what I want to know is am I crazy am I a nut job yeah, yeah. for still yeah. being so crippled on some days or yeah. is there like a I'd, is this a real I'd thing definitely say no is a real thing <laughs> yeah so I'd say firstly I'd say it's okay to be pissed off by the fact that you have these ongoing symptoms because they do affect your life so so I I'm quite happy for people to come in to the clinic and have a bit of a complaint session and to you know have a bit of a cry, you know. I've never had so many people cry in my in my treatments. Yeah. Just as we're talking about things, because of their total frustration, as since I've been treating people with you know headaches, migraines, and and concussion now, because it's it's a very frustrating situation to be in. I think, and, and I think the two, as you say, they're tied so closely together that. Um, in terms of the psychology and the, the physical physiology side of things that they're very hard to separate because mm. they just, they will impact one on another. I think the, the main thing I try and encourage people in, and I think that there's a, there's quite a few people in a similar situation to you who are, you know, have got communities online, as you say, with concussion. And, and it's all, I think that works really well if they're just encouraging and, and positive about the fact that, you will get better. It seems like it's it's a snail's and it is a snail's pace a lot of the time, especially the longer you get from having that concussion. Um, you do feel like you're moving really slowly, but if you're just trying to persist, you know it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, and so if you just try and persist in terms of you know keep doing what you're doing in terms of the level you can attain, you're going to have your bad days. You're going to have your, your better days, but just keep persisting with, um, you know, pushing yourself, not too hard, but pushing yourself a bit. I think there's always going to be a bit of improvement happening. So I think mm. that, and if you keep that positive psychological out, out, outlook yes, in whatever way you can, yep. then that's going to, I think, reflect 
positively on the physical side as well and and vice versa i think they can both work well so mm. you know a lot of people talk about exercise and and i think that's the thing the the being proactive from a physical point of view that's really really important our rehabilitation yeah you know in all of those other areas those four other areas that we talk about are all you've got, got to be proactive and mm. you just don't sit on the lounge and take a tablet and expect to get better you know you watching telly and and doing nothing you're much more much more effective if you're pro- proactive and it's uh, you know when i started physio which was way too long ago it was at the start of the sort of mid 80s i became a physio late 80s was when sports physio was really starting to come through and and back before that after an injury people were just told okay you've got to sit down and rest and so they'd sprain an ankle and they'd be sitting on the lounge for for two weeks and and not doing anything but now so much more proactive you know we get people up and moving straight away they're doing exercises you know relative relatively sort of minimal exercise to start with but you're doing something and you're much more proactive and i sort of feel like i've come in with concussion 30 years later and it's exactly the same approach that for years people have been told get a concussion you know go and rest in a dark room for two weeks yeah but now the the talk is be proactive if you can get out and do something like you can get out and have a walk or you can um watch a bit of telly or you can do something that that is out of that dark room then it's much better to do that than just you know hiding away and not doing anything so it's much more proactive approach and i think that generally on both sides whether it's physical or psychological if you're being proactive as you've explained a few ideas there you know in terms of being being psychologically sort of Mm. proactive that that will mean you're you're going to continue to improve and progress even though it seems like a snail's pace you will continue to improve so that is comforting yeah Yeah, i find when i when i do exercise it makes a dramatic difference but i can very easily overdo it and when i overdo it i can exactly so i suppose it's just like that there's probably no secret sauce per se other than just to really consider some of these approaches and then and then, like you said, whether it is snail's pace or not, what it, like there is that gradual improvement. And yeah, as yeah. frustrated as I get at times, you know, yeah, six years later, but where I was even two years later, there's sort of worlds apart. Um, so that is that is really promising. One one final one, I'll let you go. And I feel like, you know, I could talk for hours and hours on this stuff because it's so yeah. important for me. But no, we could for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk, and actually just a quick little anecdote before I, before I ask my last question, but just on that um uh, like have, sort of bring it all together with like having the right rehab at the start, the right practices at the start, and then moving the body. I feel like my approach was all wrong, uh, which probably didn't help. So just yeah. to uh, give you a little bit of context. So for me, I was had this situation where I was attacked overseas. I was, I was hit and then fell in the gutter and, and unconscious. I did my concussion test. I remember the ambulance came out from Christchurch. Um, and I was even now remember sort of, I'd been having a few drinks as well, but I passed that test and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll just had a really nasty, big, big gash open uh, above my eye. And so they just said that it should be okay. And so I went back to the campsite and I just went to bed and then the next morning, obviously had a <laughs> crazy headache, just felt so all over the shop. I went to the local uh, medical area in the country town. I got got stitched up, and then I jumped back into the camper van, and I drove for about seven hours the next day, <laughs> winding roads, like pushing through the pain because I was like, "Oh, yeah. 
I'm just a bit sore because I got punched in the face. I'm like just ignoring it. And I did that for a couple of days. And then I just collapsed and have to go back into hospital when we got down to Wanaka. So anyway, that was probably the worst way to do my first 48 hours. But then funnily enough, once I got after that, it was probably like I didn't even try and move. Like I was just, I was just stagnant for about six weeks, I reckon. So I've probably done it the other way around where it's like, the immediate yeah, stage, too hard. I was yeah. just like doing the worst things for, I didn't even take it seriously. But then mm-hmm. um, once I did, you know, rest, I just stayed in that dark room we we're talking about for so long. Yeah. So I reckon that's, I potentially contributed to the, I guess the longer lasting symptoms. Yeah, definitely. Worst places in the world to be than Wanaka. It's a lovely place there, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was actually really nice. I look forward to going <laughs> day and hopefully I'm not but, like, yeah, you probably, like, yeah. <laughs> You probably just smashed yourself when you yeah. really should have been. Really, the first day or two, if you're going to rest, yeah. the first 24, 48 hours you have a rest and then, mm. then you start to get going on a yeah. more gradual basis probably. I think so. <laughs> Mate, the last yeah. one I want to run by was just on the neck. So the re- reason that is I feel like I can relate to that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so what, what, are your, like, what are some best practices to um, help, I guess, mitigate some of these ongoing symptoms from a neck point of view. And the reason I ask is my symptoms are really flared one, like after situations where I'm really, you know, I could go for a long, consistent run and feel, you know, a bit funny at first, but, but not too bad. But I can go, I went for a bike ride the other day, my first time getting on the bike, you know, road bike, and I'm six foot five, I'm hunched over this, and it was the wrong size bike. You know, I was I was done for days. I just felt like all this achiness, and every time I feel dizzy and fatigued, I feel like my immediate sort of like organic response is to grab the back of my neck and sort of massage it. Yeah. So, what's going on there? Are there best practices to? Well, a lot of yeah, a lot of these things come from the the upper neck. So this is sort of the area that I work a lot on, um, being a physio. So the top three vertebrae in your neck will. Firstly, refer pain into your head. Uh, so you can get headaches from those levels. So there's seven vertebrae in your neck, but the top three cause those problems. But they can also lead to things like uh, dizziness. Um, you can get, um, you know, some of the other, in more severe cases, it can stir up the brainstem sensitivity, which is the part of the base of the brain where um, consequent or uh, where some of the, the impact of a concussion can be as well and they can overflow to some of these other symptoms so all the the nerves that go to all your head structures come out of the brainstem and so you know they can affect your eyes they can affect your ears a whole range of different symptoms your, your dizziness or your sort of vestibular system can be can be affected in roundabout ways so it's about keeping those upper three vertebrae of your neck functioning properly so god just I use a a thing called the Watson headache approach, which is a way we assess those top three vertebrae to sort of maintain their function uh, effectively. There are other other ways of doing it as well, but really you've got to get those top three vertebrae, um, make sure they're possibly get them assessed by, by physio to see if they're working effectively. Then things like posture, Strength is is another is an important part of the, the issue that that um, uh, the the amount of movement you've got all those things maintaining your movement there can be can be really important to 
sort of maintain your your neck in in good so I guess good function so mm-hmm. you will need you know sometimes sometimes you will need somebody who can assess it and look at it from the outside but maintaining good posture is good not sitting in front of the computer for too long so you don't want to be there for hours and hours mm-hmm. you probably can't see it but I've got a cushion I've got a cushion behind my back so I'm I'm trying to sit straight here and um, yeah so so trying to keep your chin back a little bit you don't want to get the chin forward posture that's not yeah. good for you um, maintaining good posture like that being on a bike if you haven't been on a bike for a long time it's always going to put your your head into that extended position especially if it's the wrong size it's going to really force it into a bad position so um, yeah being aware of when you're putting stress on your neck and and doing it in shorter time frames I forget how long your bike ride was but it sounds like it was a long one um, so that it just you just overloaded the system so if you're doing something new that's putting stress on your neck don't don't do it for too long sort of build into it a bit slower but that's not always possible but it's yeah it's no, but easy. it makes a lot of sense i reckon there's some opportunity to really strengthen my neck uh, i've only just you know recently started to consider that like specifically training and, and strengthening it so yeah anyway mate i'll let you go thank you so much for carving out the time you know i'm really no. grateful i know there's no problem people that enjoy uh, tune into this that there's a couple of people that actually have a similar situation so they'll be able to relate but there's also you know people friends and family and some people that have just started following along with the stuff that i try to put out that uh, we're just a bit more curious about my story and 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 think what we've shared gives some context there so the work yeah. you're doing um please keep it up i think it's really yeah. important particularly here in australia yeah. um any final thoughts before no. we wrap yeah no and as i said it's 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 a story that is very common so I'm sure there's plenty of people who will either have this problem or know people that have the problem. And so I think that having some sort of hope that they're, you know, they can make some improvements is, you know, half the battle. Because if they're just sitting there thinking, I'm not going to be like this for the rest of my life, it's not a good, not a good position to be in headspace wise. So yeah. um, if you know that there's some potential areas of improvement, then hopefully they can uh, go searching for that wherever they are. Awesome. Well, I'll link your practice um, contact details and information in the show notes and uh, for people to connect with you or your team if they wish to. But um, again, Excellent. Rob, thank you very much. And yeah, no problem. And if you want to have me back again, I'll, uh, I'll gladly come back at any stage. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate the support you guys are showing to this platform. If you got some value from this episode, if you enjoyed it, please do share it on your socials with friends and family. really helps grow the channel uh, and the mission and everything we're trying to do here with Braintainment. So spread the love. I would be forever grateful. And of course, if you've got some real insights from this episode, hit me up, find me on social, shoot me a message. I'd love to engage and have a chat with you guys. So that's it for now. Until the next episode, thanks again.